a good afternoon. Just uh, you know, being conscious of the first session after the meal can often be a little bit difficult with you know sluggish, slot and topor, one of the five hindrances can create in a particularly uh, easy at that time. So you know you can work with that by you know be bring some energy into your posture, you know, really feeling the body sitting up straight. And uh, taking a few deep breaths here and there. That also helps to energize. Maybe you know, leaving your eyes open. Or you could also stand up if you like. Just you know, trying. That's all we can do, really. So this afternoon I'd like to uh, read for you the poem by Abaya Bikuni and then uh, guide you in a meditation on the body parts, you know, and then uh, leading us to emptiness, experience of that. So Abaya is also one of the elder Bikunis, and uh, Abaya means fearless. There is a monastery in California, Abaya Giri. There's the monastery. Giri is mountain, so it's the fearless mountain monastery. And there's also a mudra when the Buddha holds his hand like this, the fearlessness mudra. It says basically, you know, stop and, and watch. Don't, you know, run away under the uh, influence of fear, but stopping and, and looking here. So she says, and my first translation is by Bhante Suchato, second one by Ayasoma, and then again I have a reimagination by Medi also. It's from the verses of the, the book of the twos, the, the poems which have two verses. Abaya, the body is fragile, yet ordinary people are attached to it. I lay down the body aware and mindful. Though subject to so many painful things, I have, through my love of diligence, reached the ending of craving. <coughs> and fulfilled the Buddha's instructions. So she reached the ending of craving, which is another way of saying fully awakened, realizing nirvana, nibbana, the going out of the flame. And then Ayasoma, Abaya, this body is transient. This is what worldly beings should attend to. I will cast aside this body with mindfulness and clear comprehension. Amid so much suffering, I devoted myself to heedfulness. I have obtained the destruction of craving and completed the teaching of the Buddha. (coughs) 
because it is kind of a bit kind of uh, funny to say, you know, I, I have obtained the destruction of craving. This is like you have obtained that you have actually let go of something. So it's it's kind of um, language can only take you so far, and that's why I think poetry is so important, you know, because poetry can provide us like a jumping board from which to jump off and then not with the intellect but with the heart, with the chitta to get a whiff of what is meant, you know, because it's not something we can't nail it down into, even into words, but it's something which is between the lines. And I think that's why poetry is is a really good, uh, it's a real skillful means, art per se, you know, can much better communicate that which words cannot really uh, do. And here the reimagination by Mary Weingast. Abaya, fearless. This body you carry around is like a small child, always wanting something. Over the years, body and mind have gotten a little tangled up, haven't they? When one is hungry, the other eats. When one is sad, the other cries. Look closely. Is there a narrow valley where one ends and the other begins? You know, in the meditation on the elements, for example, we have been looking at that. And we have seen, you know, there is no narrow valley. There's just a constant exchange through the breathing, eating, drinking, temperature, constant exchange. We can't really say where inside is and where outside is. It doesn't really exist. It doesn't really apply. And today we're going to do a meditation on the body parts, which is also in the first establishment of mindfulness. And this meditation originally, you know, was also created in order to balance out our perception of beauty, not in order for us to believe that the body is ugly, but just to see another side of the body which we usually don't look at. And the whole, you know, template of inside meditation, the four, Satipatthana is all about helping us to look at particular features of experience we usually don't look at. They are kind of also hidden in plain sight, but because of our conditioning, because of our tendencies, you know, we tend to look at certain features, but we completely and utterly overlook others. And, and that's why that's called vipassana, inside meditation, because we start looking at different facets. And they both coexist. It's not like that's all ugly or all beautiful. It's both. And with this meditation which we're doing now, we can again, you know, have a direct experience of that. And it's going to start again with body scans, just like the element meditation. And you don't need to feel anything in particular. You know, just listen and allow your mind to respond. It simply needs to know, you know, where those parts of the body are located when I'm going to go through it. You don't need to force your mind to do anything special. Just allowing the mind to go with the guidance. 
so you're finding a posture you can sustain for 40 minutes or a bit less than that. <coughs> And, you know, usually the meditation on the body parts, you know, can be up to 42, I think, parts are mentioned. 32. 32? 31 in the citizen plus the brain. Okay. But they can't be any. Yeah, yeah. So 32 parts, which is would be kind of a long sit, so let's just <laughs> agree on three. <laughs> Let the three most uh, kind of basic ones, that, like the skin, which is the organ, one organ, you know, which kind of encapsulates the whole body. Then the flesh, which is everything kind of soft between the skin and the bones, and then the bones. So those three parts, we just work with those. You can say that if you want. So I just want to say that the 32 parts is one way, and this, this what I sent the teacher is going to be teaching, is also found. The Buddha also presented this as a, as a practice in the suttas. So we're going to start with, start with the skin. But first, you know, we are becoming aware of the posture. And then you can probably you can feel your lips. Or you can feel the palms of your hands. Skin. Starting on the top of the head. And then we're just sweeping down all around the head to the neck, skin. And then one shoulder, skin. Upper arm, skin. Lower arm, skin. Hand, skin, and then the other shoulder, skin, the other upper arm, skin, lower arm, skin, hand, skin. And also noticing, you know, as you hear the guidance, the word skin kind of just starts to becomes a direct experience and the word itself isn't really kind of skin, isn't it? It's just a sound. Torso, skin. Pelvis, skin. One upper leg, skin. Lower leg, skin. And foot, skin. 
when the other upper leg, skin, lower leg, skin, and foot, skin. So the whole body is, you know, encapsulated by skin, this very thin layer. It is an organ which is doing a lot of work for us, breathing and excreting, sweating, protecting, so many different functions it has. Now we can imagine in our mind, you know, just gently take off the skin and just put it on a little heap on one side in front of us. You know, in in whatever way your mind is willing to cooperate here. And what's left then is what we see is the flesh. permeated by many different liquids. We can start with the feet, flesh, both feet. And then the lower legs, flesh. Upper legs, flesh. the pelvis, flesh, torso, flesh, all of the organs in there. With the lunch we have just been eating. And then one hand, flesh. And then an arm, flesh. The other hand, flesh. Other arm, flesh. Both shoulders, flesh. Neck, flesh. The head. flesh. Then we can, you know, visualize the whole the flesh like slipping down from the skeleton and just lying in a little heap in front of us. All of the flesh and the organs. And then what's sitting here is just the skeleton. which, you know, is the structure holding up the body. Without the skeleton, it wouldn't be able to do its job. And then we can again, you know, sweep down from the sky to the neck with the vertebrae bones, 
both shoulders, bones. One arm, bones. Hand, bones. The other arm, bones. Hand, bones. And the torso with the spine, the rib cage. Many bones. Both upper legs and the pelvis, bones. Lower legs, bones. And the feet with little, many little bones. And then another whole skeleton slides down into a third hip of many bones. So that is the body made up of many, many parts. And on the first look it appears to be just one separate entity. But when we look more closely we can see no, it's made up of many, many different parts which all work together for this body to be able to exist. And on top of it, this body is in constant exchange with the whole planet, with the whole universe for its existence. What we can see very clearly is the conditionality. And that all of these parts, as well as the whole body, is empty. Empty of a self. It's a coming together of many, many causes and conditions. And that which we perceive as a body is actually borrowed from the elements, like a riding animal for consciousness. which we borrow from the elements and take good care of. And when the time comes to give it back, we give it back. So the bones and the flesh and the skin, which is in front of us in these three little heaps, that's earth element, water element, fire element, and the wind element, which is the breath. can you know notice when we are 
focus on the breathing, the constant change, breathing in and breathing out. Just in the same way you know, as all of those elements are you know, being ingested by us and then let go of again. So that you know, drives home to us the truth of conditionality, impermanence, We never cut the umbilical cord to this planet. We are always in constant contact and exchange. And this is a truth which we need to really allow to sink in deeply. Not by thinking about it, but by having this direct experience. Because wisdom, you know, is experience understood. And compassion as well. And then, you know, this experience is happening in space here, space of this hall. goes on on the other side of the walls of this hall the space is immeasurable so now letting all of this body parts just dissolve into spaciousness to emptiness. then uh, when the mind contracts about wanting to think about something, if you notice that, just come back to listening, to the spaciousness, the silence. And familiarizing the mind with that vast openness which allows you know, all of those processes to take place. And you know, can see they are all constantly changing.
So the spaciousness is the object of the meditation. Space. Which is empty, empty of a self. not my space or your space, it's just space. And then we can just let go of the space, drop that and becoming aware of that which knows about the space, which is also immeasurable. Awareness, or consciousness, knowing, it's like you know, making a U-turn, dropping the object and the subject knows itself, just becoming conscious of knowing. And again, you know, not sinking that into pieces, but just allowing the mind to follow the guidance to the extent it is able to, and just resting wherever you are. You could say, you know, like the sky becoming aware of its kindness that helps. if there's any sense of identification with that, like me knowing or I am that knowing, just dropping that as well. It's just knowing, being the knowing. And you know, resting at that, having an experience of temporary liberation of the mind if the mind doesn't hanker after anything. And that subtle joy which is dawning. which we need to kind of recognize because it might be very subtle just it needs to be seen so it comes more conscious no subject, no object, no selfing, just being.
be conscious, being aware. of being that awareness. And whenever you notice, you know, that the mind wants starts scrambling and wants to hold on to something, wants to bite something off and chew it, just notice that underlying greed or aversion just be conscious of that and when it recedes when it dissolves and coming back to just being the the knowing Then we can also, for example, you know, open the eyes for a short while and noticing the clarity, the natural clarity. We don't need to do anything. It's just it happen. It happens. It is. It's something you know, we can always come back to. That's you know, called the, the refuge of Buddha. To awaken to that uh, which knows. Instead of becoming something, knowing it. It's a, it's a hair breadth of a difference, but a world of a difference. Then, you know, we can come back to the process of breathing, to the impermanence of that process. 
you know, also the meditation, you know, has an, an end when the time comes, the sitting draws to an end to reflect on impermanence, even in the most sublime meditation has an end. And, you know, recognizing that all phenomena are impermanent, that helps us to let go of craving. And uh, in the Pali, that's called viraga, dispassion. You know, like washing away, rang means to color. So the word viraga comes from that root, meaning washing away the coloring, washing away the delusion of permanence. And seeing that, you know, if we really pay attention to impermanence, that this clinging starts to fade away. Because if the mind sees something really clearly, it responds. It adapts. So when the mind is really still and open and then turns towards impermanence, it responds with this passion. And then if the mind is, is less, you know, passionate about phenomena, it can see also the ending of things. It can see the whole spectrum of phenomena, beginnings, then a certain amount of duration and then endings. It's called Neuroda cessation, being able to see the endings and being able to allow endings from the deep knowing that this is just part of the way things are. And then you know, there is impermanence, this passion, cessation, and letting go. It's a form of letting go, you know, which is, is not like a forced letting go, but a letting go which is the fruit of insight. Seeing the way things are, and then the letting go is more or less effortless. It's just an adaptation to the way things are. And you know, there's even like a, in the Abhidhamma, there's a mind moment which is called adaptation chitta. Um, you know, if the Dhamma is seen for what it is in those four stages of insight, this adaptation chitta is the fruit of really seeing deeply into reality and then the mind is forever changed and adapts to that seeing.
and that's what the practice supports for that to happen when the time is right, when causes and conditions are ready for that. Impermanence, dispassion, cessation or endings and letting go. And my first teacher, he always you know, called that last step, he called it like throwing it all back to nature, or tossing it all back to nature, as he said. The rightful owner of all of this, of the body, of everything we own, every little piece comes from nature, comes from this planet. is not really ours, it's only borrowed. And then when we see that, we can either you know, get really stressed out and think, oh my God, oh my God, or we can say, oh, I am, pa- I am quote unquote, part of a much bigger process. I don't need to scramble that much. I can also rest into this process which is going on for billions of years without me fiddling around with it. There's also a sense of the wonder of belonging, sense of enrichment. Depends how you're looking. And we have a choice. We don't need to go along with the old stories of lack, We can open up to a very different way of approaching this life. This body you carry around is like a small child, always wanting something. Over the years, body and mind have gotten a little tangled up, haven't they? When one is hungry, the other eats. When one is sad, the other cries. Look closely. Is there a narrow valley where one ends and the other begins? And this meditation shows that there is no valley. It's just a way of looking which is outmoded, which doesn't apply. Now another work is to counteract this conditioning through these reality checks. 
which the, this meditation provides to us. And giving, you know, giving the mind an opportunity to adapt. coming back to the body and the, the bones come back, the flesh and the skin, breathing into that body. And soon I'm going to ring the bell and then we get up as if nothing had ever happened. And that's, we can do that. We can live, you know, in both. We can live that life from many different angles. And they are supporting each other, you know, help us to let go of craving and uh, let go of so we might be able to see more clearly and uh, be of more benefit for this world at the same time. We have again break this discussion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.